Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show, brought to you by Modelo Especial, the new number one beer in the U.S. It's time for JT the Brick. I am specifically calling out some of the loud voices in the Raider Nation. We are now, as Dave Ziegler laughs, big boy radio. What what are we talking about? Look, the elephant in the room is, you're great fans in the Raider Nation. There's no one walking through that door. It's Jimmy G. Get behind him. Jimmy G does get banged up a lot. I don't like reminding you that Jimmy G gets hurt. You remind me of that too much. Some people like to vocalize it and put it out there. Some people like to keep it in and just let their play do the talk. Jimmy G this, Jimmy G's going to be that. No, Jimmy G's healthy. JT the Brick. So let me repeat that again. What is it going to take for you to buy into Jimmy G? There's not a game on the schedule where Jimmy Garoppolo with this offense doesn't give you the opportunity to win every bleeping game. That's kind of how we've always been. I ain't changing. Did I miss anything? Are you with me on that? And now... <laughs> Here's JT the Brick. All right, we're back on the flagship of the Raiders, brought to you by Tequila Commissario. The whole hour here, our new tequila partner. Uh, before I get to Gavin Maloof, who's in studio, longtime friend, here's the deal. We did Raiders Roundtable today. They released that at 1 o'clock. Uh, Thursday, I interview the head coach exclusively. It's go time. For the Raider Nation, one and one, you would take that any day of the week. If I told you at the start of the season, one and one, coming into the home opener, tell me the Raider fan who wouldn't take that. The problem is the Raiders didn't play well in their last game. They played poorly. I think the coaches are coaching them harder this week. I think they'll be ready for the challenge. There's going to be Steeler fans in the house, Raider fans in the house. The league was built on this rivalry. Okay, they're not in the same division, but going back to the Rooney family and the Davis family, all the Super Bowls combined, the Raiders have three Lombardi trophies. They could have had six or seven if it wasn't for the Steelers. Whoever won in the 70s, from Joe Namath to Terry Bradshaw to Ken Stabler, went on to win the Super Bowl. So the Steelers are a real rivalry. And as I said today, I said this earlier, every player on this Raider team, who puts on the silver and black, better understand this rivalry. Mark Davis wants this. Mark Davis has given this franchise everything they need. The best stadium in the world, an unlimited budget to go out and get the best players, the best practice facility in the world, right there with the Cowboys and the Star. It's time for the players to step up. I am fired up. I am a season ticket holder. I'm completely invested in the team. Not only my job, but the ability to be a fan. It's go time for the Raiders. Let's put Buffalo behind us, and let's get ready for Pittsburgh, and let's talk Tequila Commissario with Gavin Maloof. So, Gavin, back with you. First off, congratulations on this. Tell us about the vision and how you got into the tequila business. Well, I, w- I want to make one comment mm-hmm. right before this. Uh, my friend, Mark Davis, as you mentioned, I mean, we are very, very lucky to have this person with this franchise in Las Vegas. I mean, he has done more for this city than any other uh, owner that I know. I know Bill Foley's done well too, but Mark has really put us on the map and put this this team on the map, and he's just tremendous for this community. I just want to throw that yeah, in. Yeah, and I'll, let's stay with that because I think that's important, your friendship and your brothers and your sister and your mom's relationship with Mark. When Mark was coming here, and this story came about pretty quickly, Sheldon Adelson, the financing, building the stadium, 
you were one of the few who had one of these visions behind the scenes and was seeing what Mark was doing at the time with Mark Bedane, other people who are here. There's a new regime now in the building and the football operations. But you watched Mark Davis have to get on the ground here and build relationships, and you had something to do with that as a friend. Well, we did, and we we, we actually took out a full-page article yes, welcoming Mark that. to uh, Las Vegas, and he's he's been a longtime friend of myself and, and my family, and we just think he's uh, – we're lucky to have him. We're honored to, to have Mark and his franchise here in Vegas, and it's great. Now everybody will come out Sunday and bring your yes. lungs. One more thing. I remember the first year. I'm an avid Golden Knight fan, right? And I get a chance to sit in the press box and watch the game or go around there. I remember that first season when you were right behind the net with Mark for all those games, and we end up going to the Cup. You end up going there as a minority owner. That was exciting. You saw a lot of great that, – that was Mark andre Fleury in those years, the opening years here, and especially after the tragedy, what happened on 1 October, to see how the Golden Knights – uh, brought this city together, and how the Raiders understood the magnitude of that. Yes, and it, it was it was really nice to see all that. And look, we've won the ring in six years. Was, I don't. Yeah, it's <laughs> well, great. you know, you go to Buffalo and the Sabers say, "You guys, you know, it's taken us." 50 years to, to win nothing, and you guys do it in six. Same thing with Toronto, right? Toronto's yeah, Toronto, got the Hockey yes. Hall of Fame, and you go up there yes. and see that. Okay, so the, for the tequila idea, a lot of celebrities and a lot of people – uh, want to get involved in this type of branding and they get involved with liquor or they want to get involved with a vodka, which you've been involved with in the past and other ventures. Why Tequila Commissario and this team, this brand, and the success that you're building now? Well, the owner, Steve Rice, who I, 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 I have in very high regard, uh, approached me to to help you know open up doors and to be part of this team. Mm-hmm. And then I saw all the awards that we have won close to 40 with platinum, double gold, gold, silver. And I said, wow, what a brand this is. I mean, there's never been a tequila that has won as many awards as we've won. And, and we've that's been... never with a capital N. N- never. That's what's N- remarkable. This never. is the biggest award-winning tequila to date. Yes, yes. It, it, and it's just, I think, uh, and then a lot of uh, uh, accolades go all, also to Luis Cota, who's uh, our CEO, mm-hmm. and he he takes careful management of the taste of the product. He's fanatical about it. He goes every two weeks to taste every single bo- barrel to make everything that's in that bottle the best there is. And there's a couple of different styles that we have here. The Añejo, the extra Añejo that you have here, uh, the Resposado, the Blanco. So there's a taste for everyone here with this brand of tequila. Yes, it is. And we're, we're all over Las Vegas. We're at the Bellagio's been very gr- gracious to mm-hmm. us and put it everywhere. Spago, yeah. uh, iconic places. Uh, the Fountain Blue's going to put us in. And the uh, Resorts World, mm-hmm. Stations, Casinos, you know, goes on and on and on. But um, you people will want, they got to try it. Yes. And when they taste it, they won't believe it's tequila. Because usually tequila, you get that kind of bitter beer face, you know. <laughs> we used to call it, of course, a bitter, bitter yeah, beer there face. Yeah, you, you, you know that. But, but not with this. It's smooth. It's this... the best I've ever had. I'm, not only are we friends and you're a partner with me on the radio, but the double gold and the platinum winner and every, all the awards here. So my wife and I had a tasting party at over our house, and people were just blown away by it. They never understood that tequila could be this smooth. No, they, yeah, they that's uh, and we've sampled. I, I, I'll tell you, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, and I'm going to tell you, not one person ever disliked the product. It was, it's incredible. And we're we're flying. 
That's I mean, this right. is the hottest tequila in the country, really. All over the country, we're selling a lot of it. We're doubling, tripling That's each awesome. month, so it's it's on fire. Well, we appreciate your partnership, Gavin Maloof in studio. These blind taste tests, we were talking about it before we came back on. This is fantastic. Tell our listeners how this goes, because you're going up against Casamigos, 1942, all these unbelievable brands. What's it like when there's a blind taste test? Take us behind the scenes. Well, what happens is you have 10 judges and they're blindfolded. They they can't see what they're tasting. And we go against everybody. Clas Azul, Casamigos, Dos Dragones, Patron, 42. We go against everybody. And you know what? Every expression that we have, the, the, the Blanco, the Reposado, the Anejo, the Extra Anejo, we beat them hands down. We got double gold in all those expressions. And these are people that are blindfolded. They don't know what they're trying. And they have to agree unanimously. Oh, it's unanimous. Yes, it can't. There can't be one dissenter, and we beat them all. <laughs> you love winning, Gavin. Ever since I've known you and Joe from the first time, you had me up to a Kings game, Gavin Maloof in studio. So we're going to talk more and more about this all the time. I want to get into the landscape of Vegas sports now and what you've seen from your time with the Kings and the Rockets before that. The potential of the NBA to come here, Mark Davis, what he's done with the Raiders, but now to have F one in the Super Bowl. With the sphere opening up in between all of this, sphere for the first F1 in the Super Bowl, did you ever think something like this could happen? We were the entertainment capital of the world, but now it's sports and entertainment. Well, I, I, I tell you, I've I never envisioned it to be of this magnitude, mm-hmm. but I've always been a proponent of a team in Las Vegas. And that's when, actually, when we sold the uh, Kings the same day, my brother Joe and I went to see Gary Bettman. You know, we've known Gary yeah. Bettman since, I hate to say, 1978, yeah. but a, a, a few years. And he was the understudy under David Stern. So he was in the NBA. Gary Bettman, the commissioner of hockey. Yes. You go back to the NBA with him. Yes, okay. absolutely. So uh, we've known him for many years. So when we were selling the Kings, said, hey, let's go see Gary Bettman. Joe and I went down the street to see Bettman the same day, and we went and asked him if uh, he would entertain a team in Las Vegas. And he didn't say yes, but he didn't say no. And when he left it like that, I knew we had a chance. Because usually when Gary says it's no, it means no. It means no. And if it means if he says yes, it means yes. So he didn't say either one. So I knew we had a an opportunity and, and Joe and I went to MGM and presented it to him. We knew they were building a, a an arena right. here. And then uh they said they would be interested. You know, Bill Hornbuckle and sure. his crew said they were very gracious, said that they would be interested. And then um, then we went and saw Bill Foley and got along with Bill tremendously. That's incredible. So you take that meeting to the MGM and then to Mr. Foley, yes. and that's how this gets started. Yes, that's how it all started. Um, and, and now we have a cup. And we have a cup. <laughs> I mean, incredible yeah, story. It's, it's, well, I'll tell you another thing, JT. It took us four years Back and forth to New York and back and forth. Maybe I was there probably 50 times. I don't know because we were putting this whole thing together, you know, and everything was under the radar. Nobody knew about it. You know, we had to keep it, keep yeah. it pretty real, real quiet. And um, one thing just, just kept going. And then pretty soon, you know. And then here's another thing that the league wanted the team to at least have a chance because we were an expansion team. Normally in the past, expansion teams never get in the playoffs in the years sure. past. So this year, they I mean, the, the year that we wanted to get the franchise, 
they made it so that at least we could have a chance to get in the playoffs mm-hmm. with the players that we could yeah, get and, sure. and, the, and the players that were protected from each team. So that was a different. And then, of course, we went to the Stanley oh. Cup the first year. It was incredible. And, and then that to get that. the cup in six years. Gavin Maloof in studio, Tequila Commissario, our proud partner. So it's really similar to the Mark Davis story. When he started coming down here and trying to meet with everybody in town, and then you have Governor Sandoval, you have all the issues here politically. You deal with the 872 laborers. Eventually, you start seeing the stadium go up here. And now the stadium is magnificent. The hockey team's magnificent. We get F1, and then we have the Super Bowl. So as we tie this back to Tequila Commissario and your other businesses, the economic impact of the Super Bowl here, Gavin, is incredible. I've been to 25 Super Bowl games. I've covered it 27 years in my career. I never imagined we'd get one here, and now we have to put on the biggest show in the world. Well, I I say, you know what I say now? I say I I love Los Angeles. I love New York. (laughs) But the epicenter of the world is Las Vegas, Nevada. This is the epicenter of the entire world. Look at everything that you just mentioned yeah. and what's going on here. Then I don't know what the Yays are going to do, but I guess they're mm-hmm. going to move here too. But I mean, all this is this town is exploding. It is. <laughs> I mean, it's just incredible what's happening. And the economy and overall, we're pro jobs. You're pro jobs. You want everybody here to have a a better life. When it comes, last thing on the city and what's happening. You mentioned the Fountain Blue. We're partners with Resorts World up and down the strip here. We need people to want to continue to come back. And that's what I say about this town as a sports town. Fans, when they come here, are coming here not just for sports. They're coming here for shows, dinners, entertainment, tequila commissario. They want to have a good time. And I think Vegas is now the pinnacle in the world of fans coming here and wanting to come back again. Yes. I mean, well, I used to say many years ago when we owned the Kings, I said, you know what? Las Vegas has everything. But guess what? It doesn't have a soul. And I said, what wow, this town yeah. needs is a team. And we've never we never had a team. And, you know, there was all the naysayers that said it would never work. There's too much going on here. But we never had a rallying point for everybody in the community. And you used to see people that you know, and you wouldn't see them again because everybody was doing their own thing. But at the games, now you run into people that you've known for many, many years. It's so... Heart warming, and it's great to see. Gavin Maloof, I just came up with this, and I hope it's an appropriate question. With your rivalry when you own the Kings with the Lakers, do you have a Kobe story? Because my sons were Kobe fans, and we miss Kobe terribly, and this is a big Laker town. All the times that you were sitting courtside and around the organization, you know, the Cowbells, Phil Jackson, you guys had great teams in those rivalries there. What do you remember about Kobe Bryant? Killer. Yeah, he's a killer. He, he's a killer. Wow. I mean, I don't know what else to say it. I mean, he when he when he was on the court, you knew he was there. But you know, when in um, in two thousand two, when we had him on the ropes, we had yeah, him on the ropes. You did. We had a great team, and he even mentioned it in one of these little skits that he says, "You know, I'm, I was worried about Sacramento." He says that I was fighting Sacramento. Yeah. You know, we had the best team in the world with Vladi and. Weber and absolutely Mike thought, Bibby and I thought the refs robbed you. Pete, P- well, I do. I I'm, you know me a long time. You could say it. <laughs> I, I thought the refs robbed you in one of those series there, and I and I say that in sports rarely, rarely in sports. That was 
and not just being a friend of yours. That was a team. I watched it the other night with Colorado and Colorado State. I thought Colorado State should have won the game. They played dirty at times. The refs, 16 penalties. And at times, there's a few instances. And you know the Raiders with the refs over the decades and the Raiders and Mr. Mm -hmm. Davis and now Mark. But I'm happy you said that because I thought that Kings team was the best team in the world. You came up short to one of the greatest players of all time. Well, we had Cap. We had to go against uh, Shaq and Kobe. Yeah, you yeah. never heard of them. <laughs> uh, that atmosphere was crazy. And if we if we had gotten past the Lakers, we were going to beat the Nets. Oh, uh, we would have we'd have swept the Nets. They were the winners of the East, yeah. and that would have been. Yeah, but we we came up short. But you know now, of. Uh, we have uh, poetic justice. When we got the ring, we're going to get a ring soon. Oh, and it's going to be. Great. I mean, it's 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 so great for me and my family for all these years of, you know, it's sports is heartbreaking. They say you have to have your heart broken many many times to win the ring. Uh, yeah, you, that's interesting because again, tying this back up to Mark, you know how much Mark puts into this team yes. and his passion, and I've had. Hundreds of conversations with Mark Davis about wanting to win a Super Bowl here. He's very genuine about it here. He wants it to be about his coaches and his players and, as you know, the fans. And as we wrap this up, you were always connected with your fans. And as we tell you, know, we'll tie it back into Tequila Commissario. You care and you like to interact with fans, and that's still a big part of your life. That, that's what my brother Joe and I, well, yeah. actually my whole family are about. We, we love people. We love being around people. We were fan-friendly. Um, I used to call, Joe and I would get on the phone and call all of our season ticket holders and, and thank them for buying season tickets. We'd call them. I'd call them on the phone myself. Oh. And I'd stay. I'd wait outside the front of the building, and I'd shake everyone's hand, you know, that were coming into the games and thank them for coming in. Tremendous. Tequila Commissario, why is this a great brand for the Raider Nation and everybody here in Vegas? It's a great brand because the Raiders are great and Commissario's great. I mean, they go together. Don't you want greatness? This is greatness. Again, tell me about the nice bottle you dropped off for me, which I greatly appreciate. Well, this is the extra Anejo. It's it's aged seven years and uh, in Cabernet barrels, and it's uh, retails for about fifteen hundred a bottle retail. <laughs> but it's it's styled after the great cognacs. Yeah. If you try this extra Anejo, you're going to think you're drinking cognac. It doesn't even taste like tequila. Wait till you try it. Well, even when you smell it, it smells like a, a cognac. So you're going to enjoy it. I, I, well, you know what's great about this? And we'll get Andrew, who's here, who helped us put this deal together. I was telling my wife, you know, we have a nice, humble house here, but we need some art. This could be my art. I can just put this under a light in the foyer as you walk into my house. Beautiful bottle. Lastly, what do you put into these bottles? Because the bottles are incredible here, very unique. They're, they're, the they're, they're uh, Yeah, they're crystal. The, the bottle's crystal and... So I mean, it's it's the total package, and and like I say, you know, we're the hottest brand going, no doubt about and it. And so it's people got to try it. Just try it. Don't take my word for it. Don't <laughs> JT take his word for I, it. But. They'll take my word for it, no <laughs> doubt about it. Just, hey, thanks for coming in, Gavin, and your team here. Tell us about your friends here, also. Well, we got Mike Rocco here and Marsha Hartman. They they really they're on the commissarial team. They do a lot of. Good work in the community. They help us get more accounts. Yep. Uh, we've been, Marsh and I have been longtime friends for many, many years. And Mike is 
on the team as well. All right, Danny, we'll get going here. Coming up next is Paul Gutierrez, who's the insider from ESPN on the Raiders. We'll talk exactly what happened in Buffalo. We'll put that to bed and get you ready for Pittsburgh. And again, Gavin, we're a flagship partner here. Whenever you want to come in, please come in studio and keep telling great stories. Well, I'd love to come in. I got a lot of stories, too. You do. (laughs) And uh, congratulations on getting the ring in the Stanley Cup. Okay, thank you very much. Gavin Maloof, the best to Joe Maloof, Phil Maloof, the whole family. Your sister, your mom, everyone. They're family to me because they welcomed me on the radio when I started in Sacramento back in the day. And to have them here on the flagship of the Raiders means a lot. Tequila Commissario, proud partner of Raider Nation Radio. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show. Brought to you by Local 872, your workforce solution. JT, back with you as we continue here on the flagship of the Silver and Black. Crank the music. Find some music and play it. As Gavin Maloof left the building, I appreciate that. Tequila Commissario. Wow, what a bottle. Nice bottle he left. I will get after that at some point. Again, Tequila Commissario, proud partner of our show. Paul Gutierrez in about five minutes here. We'll preview the game with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I have two Steelers insiders, one tomorrow, one on Friday. Quick reminder, Friday I'm at Top Golf, uh, brought to you by Modelo. Uh, some of the great Raider legends will be there in regards to Gorilla Rilla, uh, Violator. I think a couple of the Raider legend fans, the legendary fans will be there. Uh, they always support me, the Black Hole, Modelo. So we're excited about that. Come on out to Top Golf. Give yourself some time. Give yourself some time to get there. It's noon to 2. We'll be there for a little bit after that. So love to come by. Have a Modelo with you as we are at Top Golf. I wanted to play this from earlier today. I haven't heard it. Mick Lombardi, offensive coordinator here on the running game. The problems with the running game and what's happened here the first couple games. You know, in terms of the ground game, um, we just got to do a better job of everybody finishing. And it starts with the coaching staff putting the right position to kind of get going. Um, you go you go into every game saying you want to win the line of scrimmage um, and get a hat in the hat in the running game and get the runner downhill and get started. Um, we haven't done a good job enough good job enough of that, and uh, we're looking forward to do that against Pittsburgh. Yeah, uh, what else could he say? He's he's a sharp guy. He's a really sharp guy. Mick Lombardi wants to turn this around. They got to open up some holes and do a better job. You know that first drive in Buffalo. Went well, as Lombardi talked about that. Maybe they can find something good there going into Sunday night. You're really happy for that young man, you know, going out there and um, playing, executing his job and playing fast and playing free. You know, any young receiver or any young player in general, you know, um, can kind of have some trouble in terms of just at, playing at his level of speed you see in practice because he gets in the game and things are moving different and stuff. And I was really proud of the way he performed in terms of just going out there and doing his job and doing his job fast and not worrying about anything else and just playing his game. That was really what I was most excited to see from him. And he made a great catch on the sideline. Um, was called a penalty, then obviously picked up. But he did a great job of going up and getting it and just playing fast. And you saw his speed in the speed sweep. And we got in the ball in space, and he did something with it, which I was really happy with. And I think the whole unit was excited to see him kind of, you know, you guys saw him play in the preseason and make some plays. Um, so it was really nice to see him play in the, you know, this past game and get some production. Um, that young man works really hard. Um, it's fit right in, fit right into the receiver room with Jacoby and Devontae and those guys who who are grinders and really master their craft. So he fits in very well, and you know he's grown every week he's been here, which I, we've been very pleased with, and hopefully he'll continue to do that moving forward. All right, Trey Tucker coming in on that sweep, I thought played a really good game. So Paul Gutierrez joining us here momentarily. 
And we're going to try to uh, get rid of Buffalo. This is our plan, what we do every week. I'm on Sunday for the post-game show. Monday, we talk about the game no matter what, win or loss. Tuesday, we kind of close the door on the win or loss and go to the opponent. And we go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'd like to know what you saw last night as you took a look at the game last night. I watched that game. I was on the air last night on Mad Dog, so I couldn't hear the sound to most of the game until the end. And I noticed that Kenny Pickett really struggled. Kenny Pickett struggled when he had to move outside the pocket. That's it. When he had a clean pocket, he made a couple of big throws. Now, Nick Chubb had that injury that was violent and brutal. They didn't play the video of it on ESPN, which I thought was the right move. ABC, ESPN, they didn't want to show that as he's done for the year. Saquon Barkley is out for the next three games. The Giants play San Francisco coming up here on Thursday night without Saquon Barkley. So they shouldn't even have a chance to win that game after what happened in their first game of the year, and they barely beat Arizona. And then Josh Jacobs had minus two yards. Who am I forgetting? Nick Chubb, out for the year. Saquon Barkley, injured again. Josh Jacobs, negative two yards. It's tough to play running back in this league. It is brutal. This is a position where you're going to get hurt if you're not lucky. you got to be lucky. Saquon Barkley and Nick Chubb, are two of the fiercest players in this league when it comes to being in shape, along with Derrick Henry. But you can't protect your knee. You can't protect your Achilles. You can't protect yourself. Nick Chubb, Saquon Barkley, and Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is gone for the year, along with Nick Chubb. We're sitting here four plays for Aaron Rodgers, and that happens to Nick Chubb last night, and Barkley's not going to play for three weeks. Be fortunate that Josh Jacobs is healthy coming off negative two yards and his best football. Hopefully he'll be in front of him. As we get out to Paul Gutierrez, joins us every two weeks at this time from ESPN. And, uh, Paul, that was just a tough overall loss in Buffalo because the early start gave Raider Nation hope, and then everything fell apart after that. How'd you see it? Yeah, it was one of those games, JT, where it was kind of whatever could go wrong did go wrong after that initial drive and it all kind of unraveled with one play and, and you know obviously a game is more than just one play but after the tip and the interception you just felt kind of the air go out of the, the Raiders sidelines and it just kind of snowballed from there um in Buffalo you know and it was just kind of a, an unfortunate situation and I asked Josh Jacobs after the game I said is this one of those games where you want to just you know wash it away and just crumble it up and throw it in the trash. And he actually sat there for a second and thought. He said, no, he doesn't want that because he wants to learn something from it, basically what not to do going forward. So I thought that was that was a pretty interesting uh, answer because a lot of guys, they just say, no, let's just wash this thing and then move on. He wanted to learn from it and move forward. Paul, what's the problem with the running game? Is the holes not open? Is Josh not hitting the holes? What are you saying? A little bit of all of it. Um, and here's the other part of it, too, is, you know, they, and this isn't just one guy's fault, but they are breaking in a new guard at mm-hmm. right guard. And so it's not the same exact offensive line as last year. Plus, you know, people, you got to remember, too, that Josh Jacobs missed the entirety of the offseason program of OTAs, of mandatory minicamp, of training camp, of the entire preseason schedule, the exhibition season. So he's still rounding in the football shape uh, himself. And he, he told me the week before that he weighed the same as he did the year before, but that he had put on more muscle. So there's something different there, too, that – He's not used to, you know, his body's not used to, to what's going on right now. So it's almost like a preseason for him. So he's still rounding in the football shape. The offensive line is still trying to figure itself out. And, you know, they played two tough run-stopping teams. So we'll see how that goes forward. It doesn't, it doesn't look like it gets much better with the Steelers coming to town with their defense. But the defense it has been known, the Steeler defense has been known to give up big uh, explosive plays on the ground. So we'll see if the Raiders can 
can uh, exploit that. All right, Paul, you quote tweeted Mick Lombardi on the targeting of Hunter Renfro. He's not deterred. We're not deterred. What's the real story here in your mind? I'm a big Hunter guy. Last year he wasn't the same after the concussion. He did everything right here in the offseason. How does Jimmy get him in rhythm? Yeah, it's, it's kind of strange. And I did talk to Hunter after the game, and I have a story on it coming out tomorrow. So I'm going to tease that a little bit. Okay. Up. But, uh, you know, Hunter Hunter himself, he, I asked him, it, it, how frustrating is it to, to be out there and running your routes and the ball's not finding you? And he said it, it is a little bit, but it's more frustrating for the offense to not be doing anything, and he, yet he still feels like he can contribute to it. Um, he says he's just out there trying to do his job and, and, and running his routes and trying to get open. So Jimmy... There's a very fine line, right, between forcing a ball and taking what the defense gives you. And there were numerous times where I saw Hunter running free down the middle of the field. Like the one target he's gotten in two games was the 23-yard pickup on that skinny post. And that's the times when I've seen him open. But then you look at the flip side of it, Jimmy was under duress most of that game, especially after that first drive. So he didn't have time to get to his second or his third read. He had to dump off right away. So that's at play. The other part of it is, you would think that once the Raiders became so one-dimensional because they couldn't run the ball, that there'd be more opportunities in the passing game for other guys. Except they only ran 13 plays in the second half, so it wasn't like they had a lot of chances to get the ball out there. So there's, there's, they have to make it a point of emphasis to use as many targets as they can, but he also has to have, Jimmy also has to have time to be able to find him. I wonder what happened from West Virginia and what's going to happen in practice this week. I give him credit. You know, Mark Davis approves it. They go back. They try to get some privacy there. They get to a new spot. They're trying to practice away from their families to be laser-focused, and then they don't have the ball for over 20 minutes. That's hard, but then they come back. I'm assuming, this is just my opinion, that they're getting coached really differently and hard this week. I think it's a wake-up call. It's the home opener. It's an opportunity to win and clear the slate and have a unique start to the season to go to 3-1 and one or 2-2, two and two. but that doesn't happen if they don't win this game. How much pressure is mounting on these players to play better? As much pressure as they allow themselves to feel. And, and we know the NFL is a 17-week season, but it's also each week is a season to do itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether they're able to wash it away or learn from it, as, as Josh Jacobs was referring to when I talked to him, it all kind of depends upon what mindset they arrive with this week. And with preparations really beginning tomorrow on Wednesday of game week, we'll see. And it is interesting to me that the Raiders, two weeks in a row, are getting teams that are coming off of uh, emotionally charged Monday night football games. The Bills last week, the Steelers this week. So, And they'll have some emotions on their own hands playing in their home opener. We'll see, though, what the crowd looks like. We know the Steelers fans travel really well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be real interesting, though, to see how what that stadium feels like and if they're able to feed off of that energy in the stadium or if it becomes kind of a turn to them as well. well. Paul Gutierrez, as we wrap it up, so the time I spent preseason with Patrick Graham before some of these games, you're hearing about faster, smarter, more explosive players. The word Dave Ziegler's using is disruptive players. That's the word I've heard the most. They want players who are disruptive. So what do you think needs to happen to the scheme from zone to man-to-man to hide certain players who aren't pro bowlers who are not elite? I mean, making it simpler for the players to play more free or that they just don't need to do that and they have to play more conservative because I don't want to see this defense revert back to what we saw last year, Paul. No, and with Patrick, it's interesting because he's back up in the press box. He's up in the booth um, watching and calling the game from up there. So he's got more of a feel for the entirety of the field rather than being on the sidelines where you get a feel for the game itself, right? So they have to be – we saw it in Denver. We saw it in the preseason where there were takeaways. There were fumble recoveries. There were interceptions. 
yeah, that's got to translate. And for that to translate, they've got to take more chances, whether that's blitzing, whether that's going after the ball, whatever it is. The game kind of gets away from you at a certain point, and we saw that in, in Buffalo, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Denver, it was, a, it was a battle all the way to the end. So uh, they were totally tuned in the entirety of the game. So that, to me, is the key for the defense is maybe blitz a little bit more because, you know, what, they, what Buffalo was able to do to Max Crosby to take him completely out of the game where they were chipping him, double-teaming him, triple-teaming him, they were able to do that because neither Tyree Wilson nor Malcolm Koontz were getting pressure from the other side. So if you could just handle those guys with one guy on the other, you could do whatever you want to Max Crosby on the other side. They need more pressure from the other side, whether that's blitzing or Tyree or Malcolm just kind of instituting their own will. So to me, that's what needs to happen. When you affect the quarterback, then that helps the secondary and vice versa. All right, Paul, let's spend the last few minutes talking about the rivalry. I love this rivalry because growing up in New York, I remember it. My age, my age bracket, I remember as a young kid seeing it in the backdrop and my dad watching Steelers Raiders and then loving Canton, Ohio. You know, I go back there a lot, was there for Stabler's induction, Cliff Branch. I've seen these guys. The story I tell is that Stabler's induction – the, the Steelers walked in at 1 in the morning, led by Mel Blunt and Franco. The respect that the Roonies and the Davises had, the biggest games that they played in, the immaculate reception, Atkinson calls it the deception. And yeah. it's the difference between the – this is a really important point. It's the difference between the Steelers only having two or three Super Bowls and the Raiders having three and not five or six. Exactly, and, and if you go back into and read the history of it all, right, it's it's Al Davis uh, supposedly putting in a good word with the Steelers ownership group. Hey, why don't you give that Bradshaw kid a chance? Because Bradshaw wanted to come to the Raiders when he already had Stabler and he already had uh, 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 Blanda and he already had his own issues at quarterback there. So, yeah, it, it's interesting the, the intertwining of these two franchises. Never been in the same division. Always though, been in the same conference at least since realignment, and and it's it's one of those rivalries that that uh, the younger generation doesn't really get. And yet, you're talking about the immaculate reception or deception. But, you know, as, as a kid, me, the first game, I, Raider game I ever went to was the playoff game in L.A., January 1st, 1984. Raiders 38, Steelers 10, mm-hmm. which was Terry Bradshaw's final game. He didn't yeah. play. He was injured, but he was on the sidelines. And I was there. I saw Lester Hayes with the pick six. I saw the whole thing um, as a 13-year-old kid sitting way up in the corner of the L.A. Coliseum. <laughs> and I have pictures of that day, too. And getting Ted Hendricks' autograph across the street from the Coliseum afterwards and Showing that autograph to Ted Hendricks and him laughing and remembering it, so it's um, it's uh, it is one of those rivalries that, that today's generation really needs to kind of delve into, and, and maybe we'll see that kind of a game um, here between them because it's, it's it definitely is one of those that needs to be remembered. Paul, last one. What do you think the key to to this game is? If the Raiders are going to win it or Pittsburgh pulls it out, what's the one key you're looking at? The one key I'm looking at is after watching the Steelers' defense and how uh, how they kicked the ball away last night is the Raider offense staying on point, staying efficient, and not turning the ball over. And I guess you could say that for any game, but particularly against this Steelers' defense because I think the Raider defense and the Steelers' offense are going to basically cancel each other out, so it comes down to the Raider offense against the Steelers' defense. And if the Raider offense can make the, the, the occasional explosive play, uh, especially in the running game, and if Jimmy stays uh, interception list, then then we'll see the Raiders able to, to pull something out like this. That's the key to me. You got it, Paul. See you throughout the weekend. Thank you. Sounds good. Talk to you then. Uh, Paul Gutierrez got great work coming out. It's got a story coming up on Hunter. Interesting to see. Paul goes and finds the stories in that locker room for ESPN. When you see ESPN do anything on the Raiders, which isn't much, they go through Paul Gutierrez. So this is a big opportunity here. 
We'll see how this plays out. So I'm open the rest of the show. We had Gavin Maloof in studio. Wanted to get back to that for a second. The story that Gavin Maloof said about going back to New York with Gary Bettman and the birth of the Golden Knights and bringing that idea to Mr. Foley, who's the owner, incredible. That's an incredible story about Vegas history. So we appreciate Joe coming in with his team for Tequila Commissario. They're our proud partner all the time, but especially this hour on the show. Uh, When we come back, I want to get into not only keys to the game, but other than Max Crosby, some of the players that I've liked on the defensive side of the ball, not because they're turning it over, but for where they're lining up, what they're doing, some little critiques, obviously, all week. We've been very critical but some positives coming up next as we are brought to you by our great friends at Doghouse Saloon. That's inside Resorts World. Where do you go for Monday Night Football? You can go anywhere you want. I go to Doghouse because you can watch the game. they got great entertainment. A fantastic team behind the scenes in the sports book is right there. Tonight, I'm going to do a YouTube show at 6 o'clock. Please subscribe to the YouTube page, JT the Brick YT. Subscribe to it. And check me out. I'll go ballistic for about 35, 40 minutes. Welcome back to the JT The Brick Show. Brought to you by Michael E. Minden at the Fashion Show Mall. Better quality and lower prices. Yes, Michael E. Minden, my personal diamond jeweler. Bought a lot of jewelry there for my wife, my mom. Whenever I think of Michael E. Minden, I think of my mom. Because my mom deserves more jewelry. And when I get a chance, I like to send something out. Uh, Michael E. Minden's second-story fashion show mall. There's parking underneath everywhere there. Go check it out if you're in the fashion show mall. Michael E. Minden, our personal diamond jeweler. So another story trending today is Prime. Deion Sanders, who's condemning the death threats against Henry Blackburn as he hit one of his best players, Travis Hunter, and knocked him out of the game here. Here's Prime, Deion Sanders. Henry Blackburn is a good player who played a phenomenal game. He made a tremendous uh, hit on Travis on the sideline. You could call it dirty. You could call it he was just playing the game of football. But whatever it was, it does not constitute that he should be receiving death threats. That that's This is still a young man trying to make it in life, a guy that's trying to live his dream and hopefully graduate with honors or degree, uh, committed to excellence, and go to the NFL. He does not deserve a death threat over a game at the end of the day this is a game someone must win someone must lose everybody continues their life the next day very unfortunate i'm saddened if there's any of our fans that's on the other side of those threats i would hope and pray not but that kid was just playing the best of his ability and he made a mistake so I forgive him, see you, um, our team forgive him, uh, Travis is, he's forgiven him, let's move on. But that kid does not deserve that. That is Dion at its best, at his best. I've been kind of lightly critical of Dion over the last week, not because he's not a winner, he's a good coach, all of that. The fact that there's been so much media bias in the favor of Dion, it's unacceptable. It is. I would have no integrity if I didn't say that. And the irony, and we were talking about it, Danny, people say the same thing against me. You're too light on the Raiders. Okay, I work for the team. 
I'm not going to die at a railroad track and let a train hit me. You, would you want me to go to a railroad track and stand in front of a train? Okay, there's a, there's a level of criticism that you could have on a flagship team. If I was cross town on the other station and didn't have three Raider shows, maybe, maybe it'll be maybe be a little bit more harsher. But people, if people don't understand that, the only thing I can do is have a beer with them and tell them, hey, man, there's certain rules you have. And again, criticism is fair. That's always been my way. Criticism is fair. My criticism of Dion is not that he is not one of the greatest players and athletes of all time. Very similar to Bo Jackson, right? Bo and Dion are in that same category. But the fact is the media bias towards him is bleeping unacceptable. Everybody getting a free pair of sunglasses. Everybody going up there and getting the ability for exclusivity with Dion when they're not asking that for the other coach. Let's call it what it is. Dion delivers the ratings. Great. But there's an opponent. I'm really into boxing. One of my favorite sports. Covered all these fights. 100 championship fights. Imagine going to a press conference for a fighter. And there's two fighters, Triple G and Canelo, Floyd and Pacquiao. And then 99% of the people are interviewing one boxer and the other boxer they don't talk to. That's exactly what's happening here. No one is giving value to the opponent. No one's giving value to the other side. No one is balancing the coverage of the media. They're just going, oh, my God, Dion's going to give me sunglasses and Dion's going to let me interview him? And there's no coverage on the other side. I got to call that out. I'm not saying it's against the law. I understand ratings and revenue and all that. So Colorado State, Jay Norvell, who is at the Bolitnikoff Golf Tournament every year. Jay Norvell is there because he's really tight with Fred Bolitnikoff, who will be on tomorrow. When Jay's here, he's one of the nicest guys I know. My wife and his wife are really good friends. Our sons grew up together when he was in L.A. at UCLA. And I was rooting for him to beat Dion. Because I know Jay Norvell to be a fine man. But his players played out of character. 16 penalties and a couple of dirty hits. I don't think they were coached to do that. Here's a hot take. I think those players felt so disrespected in warm-ups, on the field, the trash-talking of Dion's kids on that team, the biased media coverage, that the kids lost their mind. They just played football at a much higher level of intensity Late hits. These kids don't have a history of late hits. Nowhere. But maybe they were brought to that level of intensity because every time they turned on the TV that week, they were not mentioned. You would have thought Dion was playing air. They were just going to play, play themselves in a scrimmage. No, they played Colorado State. And I thought Colorado State actually was the better team. They blew that game. Oh, did they blow that game. Uh, NFL. So we're on to week three. So tonight I'm going to do a YouTube show on the teams that are 0-2. I do it every year. And, you know, panic time is 0-2 because only 11.5% of teams that go 0-2 make the playoffs since 1990. That's a real stat. So when you look at the number like that, if you're 0-2 and the Raiders are not, you know, you have a tough time making it. And to me, the, a- the AFC has just opened up beautifully because of what I'm seeing with the AFC. I do not think the Raiders are an average to above-average team now in the AFC. The way they played that Buffalo game, I think the Raiders, at best, are a middle-of-the-road team. That's being kind. But I think the Raiders can be improved in the next couple of games. And I think they can climb the power rankings, but they're going to have to win. So the good news for the Raiders as we wrap up the show. Let's go and wrap it up. 
glass is half full. The good news is the Raiders are one and one and have a home game. And they got a bunch of home games coming up. They could win these games. Uh, hopefully, the good news is Devontae's not injured. He's good to go. And hopefully, De- Jacoby comes back. Max Crosby is healthy. Josh Jacobs is healthy. Carlson and Cole are healthy. Really the stars of that team. But I'm looking at the chaos around the Raiders. New England's 0-2. They're on our schedule. Cincinnati's 0-2. They went to the Super Bowl last year. Okay, excuse me. They went to the AFC Championship game. Okay, look at the other teams. The, The Colts, the Titans, and the Texans aren't going anywhere near the playoffs. Anywhere near. So I just took out three teams. I just took them out. Took them out to the woodshed. Houston, the Titans, and the Colts are not going to be better than the Raiders. Chargers are 0-2. Denver's 0-2. Okay? So with all of that happening, who's left? I'm not saying the Raiders deserve to be in the conversation. They don't. Kansas City's elite. The Jaguars are 1-1 like the Raiders. They didn't score in their home opener. If the Raiders don't score in their home opener, my head's going to pop on Monday. So the Jaguars, how much are they better than the Raiders? They're better than the Raiders, but they're one and one. Cleveland looked like a mess. They lost Nick Chubb for the season. They're one and one. The Raiders played the Steelers so they can go up a game and in the tiebreaker if they win. Ravens are better than the Raiders. They're 2 and 0. Bills just slaughtered the Raiders. They're better than one and one. The Jets? Jets are trash. Right now, without a quarterback, I think the Jets will have a new quarterback before they play the Raiders. Let me make that prediction. Jacoby Brissett or Carson Wentz will start in Vegas. I'd be shocked if they take out Zach Wilson. And Miami Dolphins, the Raiders play the Dolphins. The three toughest games left on the Raiders' schedule is the two Kansas City games and the Miami game. So those are three really tough games where the Raiders are going to be a heavy underdog. Thanks to Danny for putting the show together. Thanks to Gavin Maloof for coming in with Tequila Commissario. A Raiders Roundtable is out. Please retweet it. It's on YouTube, uh, along with Eddie Pascal today and Jason Horowitz. We put that content out. It's fresh. It's got video. It's highly produced with the video team over at the Raiders headquarters. So I think if you can subscribe to Raiders Roundtable, you'll like the podcast. Thursday, the head coach, Josh McDaniels, joins me. And Friday, I'm at Top Golf. We'll be there from noon to 2. And I am going to take a break. Sunday, Mondays are the big days. I can see the light on Tuesdays. And I'm ready for this home opener. Really ready for the home opener. Raider fans, don't sell your tickets. Go to the game, will you? Life's short. You won't believe what the Raiders are breaking out for entertainment. I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. I wouldn't even tell you. I don't even want to tell you. I don't want you to hear it from me. I want you to hear it from someone else. This game's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. I have to tell my wife because she's going to want to know. She's going to want to dress maybe differently for the game with this news. It's going to be off the charts. Sunday night football. And we'll have it exclusively on the flagship. Raider Nation Radio. Here comes Q. Q's got a big show as always. I'll be back tomorrow. Fred Bolitnikoff joins us tomorrow. One of the greatest football players and Raider legends of all time.